This is Medical Monday brought to you with compliments of Discam, pharmacists who care. Welcome to Discam Medical Monday. It's great to be back with you. Today I'm going to be interviewing some really interesting guests and um, exploring a rather interesting topic, and that's the elderly and um, cognitive decline, cognitive well-being, what most of us understand as being dementia. And, uh, you know, you know, what, what do we know about this? We, we, mo- most laymen in our community just see dementia as losing your memory, losing your mind, a terrible thing to happen and nothing really can be done about it. But I don't think, I think that really that is very far from the truth. And to start off today's show, I'm joined by a really special guest, someone who I've dealt with a lot clinically over the years with patients. And that's Dr. Ryan Fuller. Um, Ryan Fuller is a South African doctor, grew up, I think, first in, in Joburg and Edenvale, um, went to UCT, um, trained at Barra, and then trained overseas in London and at Stirk, in Stirkfontein. And he is a geriatric psychiatrist or a psychogeriatrician. He maybe might want to tell us the difference. I think they're the same thing. But um, it's really wonderful to have you with us on the show, Ryan. Thanks for being with us. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Daniel. Thanks. So much for having me. We got a lot to get through in a short time, so I won't beat much more around the bush. But I, I would like—I'd like you to tell us a little bit more. I mean, let's start with our listeners from the beginning. What, what is dementia? Are there different kinds of dementia? And we all know about Alzheimer's. Is that the same thing as dementia, or is it one of the dementias? Thanks. That's probably the commonest question I get asked. Um, so, dementia is chronic brain failure. Um, chronic means over a long time. Sort of months and years. Uh, acute would be over days and weeks. If it's acute brain failure, we call that delirium. Most people will understand that, um, where the brain struggles to function over a short time. It's not just memory. It's um, being able to orientate, um, impaired attention. And that can be caused by a whole lot of uh, different things. There's a long sort of shopping list of things. If we talk about chronic brain failure, it's no different to any other organ in the body, whether it's the heart, kidneys, the liver, And it's a description of function. So if we say failure, we're saying it's failure to do what it's designed to do. Things you and I would take for granted, you know, waking up in the morning, sort of the brain is a little bit like a computer where unconsciously it'll ask, you know, where am I? Am I in trouble? Um, Am I in a safe place? Who am I? And oh my gosh, what do I need to do? You know, things that when we sort of boot up our brain in the morning and get going with the day, um, we, things we, we would really take for granted. People with dementia struggle with a lot of that. We'll talk a bit about that just now. So dementia is chronic brain failure. It's a syndrome. And in medicine, when we speak of a syndrome, it basically means we don't have a single cause. There are a lot of different causes. We have a collection of symptoms, uh, things the patient will complain of, or things that family and loved ones will observe, and then a decline in level of functioning. And it's our job to try and work out what is the uh, most likely cause of that. So, as you say, you know, Alzheimer's is synonymous with dementia, but really Alzheimer's is a subtype of dementia. It's the commonest type of dementia. Approximately 70 to 80% of all dementia syndromes are caused by Alzheimer's. Alzheimer was an Austro-German pathologist at the turn of the century, 1900s, who described the changes in the brain cells and in between the brain cells. And a guy called Krapelin, who was a psychiatrist at the time, wrote a textbook, and he 
popularized Alzheimer's as Alzheimer's disease, but this disease had been around for a very long time before that. And people have always known as uh, senile dementia or people getting older and losing ability to concentrate and uh, have memory difficulties. So old age in itself doesn't cause dementia. Lots of examples of older people, advanced ages, who function very well with cognitive or brain function. There are other types of dementias. Um, Alzheimer's is the commonest, but the other commonest is vascular, or what we call a plumbing problem, when there's difficulty with blood flow to the brain. Typically, that would be a bleed or a, a clot. It's about 10 to 15% of dementias. And then we have other types, um, Parkinson's-related dementia. Most people will know what Parkinson's is. When a person is rigid, has a tremor, and mask-like faces, and it's this typical stoop and walk, that disease, Parkinson's disease, can cause a dementia. So any uh, systemic illness in the body or disease can have an impact on the brain and cause a dementia. The one we see more of, unfortunately, is a thing called frontotemporal dementia, or FTD. It's under the age of 65, a rapidly progressive form, uh, presents with more of a behavioral problem rather than a memory problem. Uh, difficulties in speech, or people with primary progressive aphasia, or a behavioral variant where people are a bit more reckless and don't think about what they're doing first. And then there are mixed variants of dementia. In South Africa, we need to think about TB and HIV, which can also affect the brain. Um, and we need to make sure that that doesn't have a, what we call an encephalopathy or brain problem as well. But of course, these are sort of what we call the organic or physical causes of dementia. The commonest thing I see in terms of memory difficulties, not dementia per se, as a psychiatrist, you're right, old age psychiatry, psychogeriatrician, same thing really. It's a psychiatrist, I'm not a physician. Physicians who focus on care of the elderly are called geriatricians. Um, and, and I'm not a uh, physician or geriatrician. I, they are very important um, to manage uh, complex medical problems in the elderly. And we try to work with geriatricians and, and GPs like yourself. But really the, the, the challenge is to try and understand um, if there isn't a physical problem, is there a psychological, uh, psychodynamic problem? So this idea of pseudo-dementia, what looks like dementia is actually depression or stress. And I know you touched earlier on the idea of COVID. And we're seeing a hell of a lot of that, unfortunately, um, where if people get stressed because of depression, uh, social isolation or financial crises, um, there's a sort of manifestation as people get older that comes out with memory difficulty, attention problems. And I like what you said earlier. There's actually a lot we can do because, um, sort of half joke, just because it walks like a duck, sounds like a duck, doesn't mean it's a duck. Sometimes it's, it's something else, whether it's stress or depression. And we know that if we treat stress and depression early enough, we can see improvements in memory um, without giving false hope. But often we get the combined uh, depression and a dementia syndrome where uh, you get Alzheimer's and uh, a stress-related problem. And there it's about understanding is it the chicken and egg, what came first, but treating the symptoms and trying to help uh, patients. So we know that patients who retire, typically age 60, 65, go through what we call an existential angst, um, sort of a late-life crisis, not a midlife crisis, where uh, they live a lot longer than they planned for financially. Uh, family have perhaps emigrated or uh, emigrated to the coast, or perhaps there's conflict in the family and people are not talking, or perhaps there's been a death, God forbid, in the family with COVID. And we see a lot of um, complex problems, and we, we try and tease out uh, what, are we, what are we dealing with. So 
I'm not pessimistic about the space. I'm, I'm more optimistic because a lot of the time, if we can help people, um, there is more um, hope than, than we realize. I think that everything that you do and, and just like the units that you run and have set up really bear testimony to that. And I, I'm talking to Dr. Ryan Fuller, who's a specialist psychiatrist who specializes in, in dementia and the elderly. We're going to take a short break, but when we come back, I'd like to unpack a little bit of what you've discussed. Um, so we'll do that straight after the break. This is Medical Monday brought to you with compliments of Discam, pharmacists who care. Welcome back to the show. This is Dr. Daniel Israel. I'm your host on Discam Medical Mondays, and I'm talking to Dr. Ryan Fuller, who is a specialist psychiatrist um, specializing in the elderly and cognitive, I should say, not dysfunction, well-being. Ryan, welcome back to, to the show. I, I, you really mentioned something that, that, that I found very pertinent, and I see so much in my own practice, and that's mm. there seems to be an idea out there that when people get older, their memory will fail. So I often find that patients will come in and say, well, you know, that's part of being older, isn't it, that I can't remember what happened yesterday or X, Y, and Z. And we've, I've also seen from a doctor's side that, yeah. you know, when we used to do scans of people in casualty and look for, for pathology, they would say age-appropriate involutional changes, which for our listeners yeah. means, you know, the brain shrinks up a bit when you get older and that's just what happens. But you, you rightly yeah. said now that one shouldn't take it as a fact to complete that as you get older, you're going to lose your memory. So can we elaborate a little bit more on that? Absolutely. Thanks very much. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're seeing people live longer in our time frames. Um, you know, it's always interesting. Um, people who are alive at the moment, we tend to think that our generation is, you know, the smartest, best. And it's hard to understand what happened before because we weren't there. And there are assumptions we make all the time. Um, one of them is this idea that as people get older, their memory will get worse and they may end up in a nursing home, for example. I often use the example, you know, if you think of people in China and India, billions of people, they don't have the facilities of what we'd call first world care or uh, private medicine. They make a plan. Uh, people stay at home. They work the fields. Um, they're often rural communities. There's a lot of evidence from, you know, people will probably know about Japan, uh, where people live a, a, a lot longer than in other um, cultures. Um, and there's a lot of research there about why is that. There's a lot of it's their diet, genetics. But there are also places in Russia um, where people live in, well into their 90s, uh, over 100, and they don't demit. Um, so there's this work trying to understand what is that about. Do they have generally healthy lifestyles? So, yeah, absolutely. We know that we shouldn't make assumptions just because someone of the biological age is in their late 70s, 80s. doesn't mean that they can't function independently physically and certainly not cognitively in their brain. Um, I think it's important to understand this idea of mild cognitive impairment or age-appropriate cognitive decline. We think about memory and brain function as a sort of motor vehicle. When you hit your 20s, you're like a Ferrari in terms of how fast you can think about things and you know, you're really fast, um, and most people will have a very sharp ability to register and retain and retrieve data. We sort of make a joke and say, but they're not very wise. Um, and as people get older, their wisdom, their ability to think about context and to rely on life lessons, a lot of it's unconscious, knowing what to do, how to survive. That then increases. Um, and I think it's also important to note that every person is their own baseline. Um, and so... Just because someone didn't go to university or speak English or complete high school doesn't mean that they're dumb. 
Um, they might be very streetwise, what we call crystallized intelligence. And we know that not everyone speaks English. And so we need, especially in South Africa, to understand that cognitive decline um, really needs to relate to physical functioning and uh, day-to-day functioning, which you spoke with in your previous segment or the segment coming about activities of daily living. So if I can't remember um, day-to-day a few things, but I'm functioning okay, it's not the end of the world. If I have some insight, I know that. Basically call that mild cognitive impairment or age-appropriate memory decline. But if it impacts my level of functioning, and basically it's getting worse and people are concerned for me, there might be, as important, might be a dementia syndrome. But there it's important to have your memory tested. It doesn't have to be a specialist. It can be a healthcare professional, a GP, community nurse, or someone at the care home or a retirement village. But generally, there's a functional decline. Uh, so someone that perhaps wasn't able to or was paying their taxes might suddenly not pay their taxes every year or get a little bit lost driving or be a bit repetitive, a little bit forgetful. That's not so, always so, so this is a space that I often see patients presenting with. And my experience of this is the layman doctor, as I would, a generalist doctor, is that it's often the caregivers who or the family yeah. members, I should say, who come in complaining yeah. about the concern and not the patient themselves. So, I mean, could could we say as a rule of thumb for the people listening to the show that if you if you are concerned about someone that you see that, that they've changed their level of functioning and they're not doing the same executive tasks that they used to, or yeah. that you feel that they're losing that they've that their memory's declining, that would be a good enough cue to take them to a I don't know, at least their GP to start with, to try and explore that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and the reason for that is, I said a bit earlier, there, there are many causes of impaired brain function. Um, it, it might be that there is a nutritional uh, problem, as you know, with vitamin B12 or folate deficiency. Um, there might be anemia. Uh, people who get older tend to have multimorbidity. Um, many patients have cardiovascular problems. And they need to have that uh, treated well, you know, high blood pressure, sugar diabetes, high cholesterol. Um, And we do see that where those cardiovascular risk factors are well managed, that a patient can improve their cognition, uh, brain function and functioning. I'm speaking to Dr. Ryan Fuller, specialist psychiatrist, and he's focusing on dementia and, you know, how, how this affects the individuals in our community, um, even, you know, in our context, often pre-diagnosis. Now, there's a concept out there, Ryan, that w- when someone gets dementia or Alzheimer's, they, the decline is inevitable, nothing can be done. So, you know, what's the point in yes. going to see a doctor anyway? And I, I, I would think that they're possibly incorrect. Can you tell us about some of the reversible causes of, of, of memory decline or brain function. Sure. I think, you know, most memory clinics, and certainly I want to say if you um, are worried about your physical functioning, uh, it's important to see a GP and then if necessary, see a specialist. And there I would highly recommend seeing a geriatrician. Certainly there are enough geriatricians that are worth uh, getting an appointment with uh, to rule out any physical problems. Um, you know, the brain is connected to the rest of the body. So it needs good blood flow, it needs good oxygen, um, it needs as little stress as possible or, or appropriate stress, if I can say that. And so if you have what we call comorbidity or multimorbidity, um, problems with whether it's emphysema, um, you know, a person might be smoking, for example, or using alcohol, 
Um, what's very common we see is people using uh, sleeping tablets um, because uh, they're not they're stressed and they need something to help them sleep. Um, there's a lot of research about um, the importance of healthy sleep. And if I can just touch on that for a bit, um, you know, no one ever died from lack of sleep, if you think about it. Um, and as people get older, they need to sleep less. But a lot of substances that are used to help sleep um, can impact uh, memory the following day. Um, and so it's really important to try and work on healthy sleeping patterns. And in fact, you know, sleep, healthy sleep is necessary for good cardiac function and general health and vitality anyway. Um, and so the, the, there's a lot of work on the preventative aspects of memory decline uh, linked to the body. And I think, you know, it, it would be in common sense that uh, exercise is a key one. 20 minutes of exercise every day. Um, which helps heart function, lowers blood pressure, helps diabetes, general nutrition. Um, and it doesn't mean that one has to run or, you know, do the Comrades Marathon, but just be moving without falling, um, without getting lost, and God forbid, without getting mugged if you're living in Joburg. Um, but moving is important. Um, and if someone were to just sit all day and watch TV because they're elderly, that's not really good. Eventually the brain forgets how to walk. Um, and it leads to a frailty problem, which is important to reverse. So a good GP will do blood tests um, and check if there's a deficiency, whether that's vitamin D, um, vitamin B12 or folate. Um, sometimes there's an anemia that needs to be treated where the iron level is low. Um, you need good iron level functioning to get the blood and the oxygen to the brain. Um, we also see lots of things like urine urinary tract infections, which um, patient often doesn't complain of, um, and that can cause delirium or cognitive impairment. And so as people get older, the different body systems tend to decline, and there's a sort of cascade effect that um, it's important to understand which one is uh, dominant at that time. And what we also know, you know, as a psychiatrist, I'd say there's often psychological stress that is not obvious the patient's not talking about it. The family are not talking about it. They just set up the memories poor. So caregiver support is crucial. So if a caregiver burns out or has a lot of burden, um, they will be the first often to ask for help. We need to support them. And to your earlier point, Daniel, there's a lot that can be done in terms of reducing symptoms, whether it's um, impaired sleep, using appropriate medication. We use cognitive enhancers, uh, which are memory tablets. These are not magic pills. They don't reverse um, memory decline, um, but they slow it down, and we can treat depression, anxiety, agitation, and possibly chronic pain. A lot of conditions we don't cure. If you think about it, most of the cardiovascular conditions, um, hypertension, diabetes, hypoglycemia, we manage them. We use medicine to reduce risks. In a similar way, we can manage dementia. It, it doesn't have to be um, an inevitable rapid decline that causes trauma and angst. Dementia is an irreversible condition, um, and unfortunately, it does shorten lifespan. Um, but there's no reason that the person can't still be treated with care and dignity. Um, so I guess at the end of it, it's important to get a, a proper diagnosis from a specialist because sometimes it's not dementia, um, and you get, as we said earlier, different types of dementias where some of the medication will, will, will shift and, and change.
anecdotally, uh, talking to your point there about other causes, I, I would go so far as to say in my own practice, I would say urinary tract infections, for example, yes. one of the biggest causes I see of confusion in the elderly, which is something yes. that is, as a layman we wouldn't know about. If we had an older person who was confused and kept being confused, we would just put it down to a dementia. And that's why it's so important to, for, 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 to yes. have these things checked out. Now, I think just be, we, we'll take a break and then I'll come back to you and wrap up. But just before the break, can you just make mention of there's a fear out there in the community that if your grandmother had dementia and yes. now maybe your mother has dementia, you are going to yes. get dementia. Is this true? No, not necessarily. It's a bit more complicated. Um, do, okay, do you we'll, to, we'll come back to that after the break. Okay. We'll come back to that after the break. Okay. This is Medical Monday brought to you with compliments of Discam, pharmacists who care. Welcome back to the show. This is Dr. Daniel Israel, and I'm interviewing Dr. Ryan Fuller, specialist geriatric psychiatrist, and he's talking to us about all things to do with dementia, a very brief overview of a topic that really we could go on for, for hours about. We had just started discussing whether if you have a genetic um, line of dementia or you have a, a line of dementia in your family, are you going to get dementia yourself? Is it a genetic fate complete or is it a bit more complicated? It makes sense. You know, if mum or dad or Granny and grandpa had dementia. Um, does that mean I'm going to get dementia in my thirties, forties? Well, you know, God forbid, fifties, sixties and later. Um, so the, the, a couple of points. Um, we, we think about dementia. We don't know really what causes dementia or Alzheimer's. I think that's an important point. Um, we know what the risk factors are. We can talk a bit about those. Um, but in terms of a single definitive cause, we don't really know what, what triggers the changes in the proteins in the brain. And that's one of the reasons we don't have disease modifying or curative treatments. Um, a lot of money being spent around the world, um, trying to look at uh, treatments and one is cautiously optimistic we'll, we'll get there one day. Um, but in terms of genetics, uh, I think as far as I'm aware, about 5% of dementias are purely genetic, which means 95% are not, which means that, um, even if your mum or dad or other relatives had dementia, Trying to understand quantifying the risk of your own likelihood of your genes causing dementia is complicated. I know there are sometimes tests around that people can have and they'll give you a number of your likelihood. To my knowledge, those tests are not really ethical um, and and wise to do. Um, so we don't advocate genetic testing um, in general because we don't have a treatment for the, the condition and because that information that a person would have you know, if we were to say you've got a 60% likelihood of dementing at an age of 60, um, that's very powerful high stakes information that one would affect one's life. And so I think it's important to say that there are rarer sort of earlier onset dementias like frontotemporal dementias where there's an increased genetic risk. I think there's a cluster of families. One is in Brazil where almost every single member of the family demented under the age of 65. The youngest patient I've seen with frontotemporal dementia is age 38, which is tragic. Um, but there is no one in her family that is known with dementia. And so there's a lot we don't know. I think it's important to try and understand with genetics the difference between uh, sex-linked, autosomal dominant, autosomal recessive, and what's called mixed etiology. And so we inherit uh, genetic material from our mum and dad. Um, sometimes people might understand um, Down syndrome, Trisomy 21 quickly. Um, there, if you if you inherit uh, an abnormality in your genome, you would then 
there'd be a high likelihood of penetrance and clinically you would see it. Um, Alzheimer's and dementia is not like that. There are many different genes which um, contribute to the picture. I won't go into the ones that that are known. So it's polygenetic though. And so it means that it's not as if you would inherit one bit of genetic DNA from a mum or dad, and then therefore that gene would then express um, difficulties in brain function. And so most of the thinking is around what we call the stress vulnerability model. So the vulnerability is we inherit certain traits from our parents, whether it's diabetes, um, high blood pressure, um, and then in the environment you need certain risk factors almost, if you like, to switch those genes on. So we say to people, you know, if you smoked your whole life, uh, drank heavily, um, played American football, were highly stressed, didn't have a good home upbringing, didn't have a supportive spouse, you're already at risk of many mental health problems. So depression is a mental health risk factor for uh, dementia. And so there are protective environmental factors about living a good life. Most of them relate to cardiovascular diseases that people understand intuitively. Um, and so if you live a good life where you're not stressed um, and you exercise mm-hmm. regularly and you're mindful about um, activities that stress you at work or at home, um, your likelihood of uh, getting high blood pressure, diabetes, and all of the things that um, impact heart function would be less. And what's good for the heart is good for the brain. Um, there's an interesting work um, that the past couple of years and more recently in America, the incidence of dementia in general seems to be declining. Um, and that's on the base, on the back of a rapid increase over the past couple of decades. And they think that's because cardiovascular illnesses are being better treated in terms of better blood pressure control and things like that. Um, so I guess in a nutshell, environmental things, what you do day to day matters far more than the genes you inherit. I think on other segments you would have heard about cognitive stimulation, um, physical stimulation and emotional stimulation. So it's important that a person um, uses the brain they've got, that they expose themselves to um, new activities to develop what we call crystallized intelligence, um, using your intellect day to day, whether that's learning another language, playing a musical instrument, um, doing good works is also important uh, from social stimulation. And there's interesting research that, that people that have different social points and, and more of those rather than being isolated tend to age better in general. Um, so all of these sort of healthy activities and vitality factors tend to be more important than genetics. And that's what we try and help counsel patients. Um, and so one doesn't need to have what we call, you know, a double or triple tragedy where someone in the family demands that that is a person's uh, fate. Um, people can still take control of their, their life and their destiny. Absolutely. Which is which is so encouraging, and, and interestingly, I find that this is the pattern that we've seen in so much of disease in in the world today. I mean, if we one looks at um, our diabetes, it's innately a vascular yes. disease, and the, the and and certainly if a patient has diabetes, they can improve their outcomes by looking after their vessels through their lifestyle. And now you're saying the same thing from a dementia perspective. And it's just such a lesson to us that it's about preserving health rather than taking one's genes as your, as your, as your life sentence. 
Um, in the few minutes we have remaining with you, just because it's very yeah. topical at the moment, I would love to ask you, that, uh, we've had a very different year and a half to the, the preceding years when I've often heard you speak on dementia and these kind of things. Um, COVID-19 yeah. obviously being the biggest thing. Are we seeing an increase in any, as you said, it's a long-term progression dementia, so it's hard to serve a short period. But mm-hmm. are we seeing mm-hmm. an increase in dementias? Do we feel that the measures being taken for COVID-19 mm-hmm. are going to worsen the the prevalence of dementia or, or not? Yeah, that's a very good question. Uh, the short answer is I'm not sure. Um, I think it's likely that we will see um, in a couple of years we look back on patients who are vulnerable for dementia and may be demented earlier than we would have hoped. We're definitely seeing um, about six weeks to two months after the physical peak, so when the ICUs are full, if you add two months to that, we, we have a mental health crisis, which is interesting, quite hectic, um, where older people um, are presenting with first onset uh, psychiatric presentations of psychosis, um, uh, memory decline, and behavioral problems. These are patients that um, had never seen a psychiatrist before, and it's interesting because we were, there was a seminar, I think uh, Professor McMaster um, from Canada um, helped us understand in the first lockdown for data from Wuhan in China was that one third of people um, would have a new onset psychiatric presentation. The commonest symptoms were insomnia, anxiety, fear of getting COVID, fear of dying. Um, and that was also linked to financial crisis because of the lockdown. Um, and then patients would often be sort of locked in and develop, I guess, cabin fever. And then substance misuse was off the charts, you know, not just alcohol, but, but any substance to help one sleep and cope. Um, and then it seems like uh, elderly folk couldn't get access to services. And so they sat on their chronic diseases where before they may would see their GP or they would see their specialist. And so the mortality rate of older people has definitely gone up uh, in our space. Uh, more people have died in um, frail care, nursing homes, um, and younger people that, that I see under the age of 65 are, are presenting with first-onset psychiatric problems related to COVID, where it's shown that they've typically had a, a acute on chronic a COVID delirium, and then a, what we call a prolonged COVID syndrome. You know, I'm sure a lot of people have heard that. And there it can take many different shapes and forms. Um, I would summarize it saying it's a stress type of reaction. I was listening to a podcast, there's an autoimmune reaction and inflammatory markers that we can track. Um, but it seems to be a biological, physical illness from COVID affecting the brain. Um, what we've seen clinically is a lot of elderly folk after several weeks do um, recover from the delirium and they can have um, good brain function after that. Um, in, in men in particular, there's often uh, loss of appetite and uh, men get a lot thinner, stop eating or bed bound. Um, we're seeing a bit of that. I'm not sure if that's going to be shown to be a, a male, female genetic uh, risk. Um, but yeah, I think COVID has definitely changed the, the game for us in terms of how we're trying to help people. Um, you can also talk about the vaccine. We are seeing more elderly people take up the vaccine, but if they get COVID, then they have to wait three or four weeks before they have the vaccine. We're seeing generally, though, the vaccine is well tolerated. Um, compared to the first lockdown, um, we're seeing more patients that are more confident about seeking help, which, which is really good. Unbelievable how pervasive this uh, COVID-19 is. But um, 
So Dr. Fuller today has really touched for us. Thank you for touching us on, you know, so many aspects of such a broad topic. We, re- we really could speak about this for hours. And I think for future shows, we're going to have to, if you're willing to be back with us, we'll choose um, yeah, sure. one or two interesting things and we'll really elaborate on them. But it's been an absolute honor to, to speak to you today. Dr. Dr. Ryan Fuller, who's a specialist psychiatrist who specializes in geriatrics and uh, you know, I, I certainly have dealt with them before with people with cognitive challenges and what a real, you know, expert in this field. And thank you so much for your time. Thanks for being with us, Ron. And um, nice so, soon after the break, we're going to be interviewing Barry Kaganson and Danielle Oswald from Aurea Senior Living to talk more about the functional side to do when, well, what to do when someone is experiencing dementia. Thanks for being with us, Ron, and have a great day. Pleasure. You too. Thanks, sir.